Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by Alvaro De Vicente. Alvaro has served as headmaster of the high school in Potomac, Maryland since July 2002. Alvaro received some of his secondary education at the Heights and graduated from there in 1983. In 1987, he graduated from Georgetown University with a Bachelor of Arts in Political Philosophy and received his JD from Georgetown University School of Law in 1991. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchor Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Uh, I am very, very excited about our guest today. Uh, Alvaro De Vicente is the head uh, of the Heights in Potomac, Maryland, an amazing school. I've been out several times. Um, I have visited before where it's kind of a revolving door of other tourists who are coming to the Heights to see what you're doing because it's it's amazing. Um, and you've been doing it for a long time. So Alvaro has been the head of school there for 20 years now. Uh, Alvaro, what a, what an honor to have you on the podcast today. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. So I know you never miss an episode of the Anchor Podcast. So <laughs> as we as we often do, we we typically start off trying to get a sense of what was your own academic journey like. But yours is a bit different. You grew up in Spain. Yeah. Uh, English is not your first language. Right. Um, so what was that like growing up in Spain? Did you get a, a Spanish Catholic education, or were you in the public schools? Tell us a bit about that. Sure. Um, yeah. So I grew up in Spain. I, I grew up mostly in Madrid, um, and I, I I went to a Catholic school all the way from pre-K through my junior year um, uh, in high school, which is when I, I left Spain. Um, and it was the same school. It was a, it was a, a pre-K through 12th grade, uh, about three, 4,000 students. So it was a mm-hmm. huge place. It was all boys. Um, and that was, that was my, my first experience uh, with Catholic education. Um, and then I came over to the States after my junior year. Uh, the, the, you know, the idea there is my, my, my dad was a lawyer. He had his own law firm and, and I'm the youngest in the family. So it was a very sort of adventurous 15th century idea that the youngest child has to go off to the new world and, and, and create, um, create his own way. And, and in this case, uh, really, my dad's idea was that I would eventually open up the the U.S. branch of the family's law firm. So, it, you know, okay. it, it was it was go over there during the summer before senior year in high school, see if you like it. If you do, you can go back for law school and, you know, go from there. And and I, I came over and I, I, I met a, a a priest in Opus Dei by the name of Father Malcolm Kennedy. Um mm-hmm who told me wisely that if I really had the intention of attending university here, I should probably finish high school here to senior year. And it just would be easier in terms of a transition, applications and all that. So he introduced me to a friend of his 
who was the headmaster of a school in Chicago, uh, Northridge Prep. And this person is, is, uh, is a fantastic educator by the name of Jim Stenson. He's written a, a, a ton of books on education and parenting. Yeah, and, okay. and, and Jim was, was, was a great in, in, in convincing me further that, that really doing senior year of high school in the States was the way to go. Um, he could not have me at Northridge because it was such a young school at the time that they, I, I think what happened, my recollection is that they didn't quite have the accreditations needed to offer I-20s to foreign students and so forth. So, so he said, um, I'll tell you what, I'm going to call a friend of mine uh, who runs a school in Washington. His name is Bob Jackson. And tell him mm-hmm. that, that he should have you in his school. It's called the Heights. Mm. So I said, well, Washington sounds good to me. Uh, so he called his friend and I, I guess I was admitted. Um, I called my parents and told them that I thought I should stay to finish high school. Yeah. Um, they, you know, I'm just 17 at this point. So they, they said, well, why don't you come back and let's talk about it. <laughs> like we're open to the idea, but you know, yeah. you, you went for a month and a half and now you want to stay for, for a whole year. Let's come back and talk about it. And I still remember in the conversation, my mom with, with, with great practical wisdom said, plus you need to pick up some winter clothing if you're going to stay for a year, <laughs> you have to come back anyhow. So yeah. I came back to Madrid for a week and talked with them about it and decided that this was the right thing to do. So I, I went to the Heights in my senior year. Now that I did not know that you went to the Heights and that, that has to be pretty unusual actually for a student to only go to the Heights for their senior year. It is, it is unusual, but not unique. Uh, you know, there have been other students in my same situation where they came from other countries for one year, uh, yeah. either as an experience, you know, we've had a few that come for a senior year after they graduate in their country of origin. And they're just here mm-hmm. for a year to get that experience and they go back to the country of origin. Or like in my case where, you know, they come senior year with the intent of then applying to university here in the States. Okay. Um, not, not a lot, but we, you know, we've had a, a, a few here and there. Um, okay. So then you go senior year, you finish at the Heights. Mm-hmm. And I, I know you end up at, at Georgetown Law, right. but before law school, uh, where, where did you do your undergrad and what was that experience like? So I, I first went to Manhattan College in New York, hmm. um, which is in the Bronx. And, um, you know, just to show the extent of my, my, college, um, my college application prudence, I went to Manhattan College, uh, wanted to be a classics major. And I, I got, you know, this is the day's. Uh, when there was no internet registration, you would go to this big classroom the day before classes began. And each yeah. department had a table and you would go and say, hey, I want to study something in your department and they would sign you up for classes. Okay. And I remember standing in this large room where all the departments had a table looking for classics, not finding it. And finally asking somebody, could you tell me where the classics table is? And they say, well, we don't have a classics department. <laughs> so that's, that's how much preparation this class application yeah. there had been. So I, I ended up, you know, doing all kinds of other things, um, enjoying that experience tremendously. Uh, but by sophomore year, realizing that uh, academically, the school was not providing what I was really interested in, which was political philosophy. Mm. Um, and then I, I transferred to Georgetown, B- 
because of the strength of that program at Georgetown. And when I got to Georgetown, I was incredibly fortunate and blessed to have um, as my advisor, Father James Shaw. No way. Yeah, who, and, and that just happened. I, I, didn't, I didn't look for him. I, I, I didn't ask to have him as my advisor. He was assigned to me or, or I was assigned to him. Wow. And, and he was, um, you know, sort of a, a, an academically, intellectually. Did, did you know he was like this legend at that point? I, I really didn't. I really, okay. I had, I had seen some of his books, but I didn't realize what a legend he was. Yeah. And, and, and to me, the beautiful thing is that I, I got, I was not starstruck when I met him. Hmm. I fell in love with what he did for me as a great mentor, as a great priest, as a great man of God, as a great educator. Yeah. Um, and, and because of that, I always thought my, my appreciation for him was very natural, very real. It was, it was I never you know, felt that I have to really like this person because he's so good, but he was good to me. And therefore, yeah. I immensely. You know, I, I was at an ISI when I, I first got, got hooked on, on Father Shaw and I, they were telling me about him and I'm like, a, a Georgetown Jesuit? Like, doesn't, doesn't seem like the profile, but then you start reading uh, Father Shaw. That, that's incredible. So, um, and I, I actually... I reached out to him in probably 2016 and got an email back and it was, or maybe 17. And it was like a, a week, not even before he passed, um, um, which was wild. He just said, pray for me. And that was kind of the extent of the email. Yes. Um, but what a life, what a legacy. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, just a, a fantastic person. I mean, I mean, you could not go into his office to ask a question without coming out with a book. Mm. There was always something. It was always like, you know, what are we talking about? It was so, always the, by the way, Mr. Devicente, have you read this? Here, take it. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I returned most of them, but I, I, I couldn't get track after a while. Either, either a book or an article or, or an essay, something. He, he always had yeah. some, something he had written or something that he was recommending for you to read. Okay, okay. So then you, you stayed at Georgetown. Did you go straight into law school? I went straight into law school um, one, because that's really what I wanted to do. Um, and... and, and uh, so, you know, no sense of doing anything else in between. So I went straight into law school um, at Georgetown as well. Uh, and then as I was um, approaching my my third year of law school, an opportunity came up, which was to become the executive director of the Tenley Study Center. And the Tenley Study Center is a supplemental education center that is linked with Opus Dei. Um, they do a lot of character and academic supplemental education for middle, uh, high school students, college students, young professionals. Um, and, and that opportunity was there. Uh, and by the way, the, the Tilly Study Centers where the high school had started back okay. in 69. And then, and then the high school moved to a different location. And this study center was kind of trying to find its way. Um, okay. Okay. The school left, so there was an opportunity to be the executive director to start up a lot of the programs to develop a lot of those programs. So that was very exciting to me. Um, so I finished law school part time, and frankly, all along I was thinking, okay, I finished law school, um, joined a law firm. Um, okay, let's wait six months. Okay, let's wait six months, and at no point did I decide not to go into law firm. 
Yeah. Um, after 13 years as executive director, I knew that I was not going to join a law firm. <laughs> but, <Okay. laughs> but I can't tell you at what point that happened. Right. Okay. Okay. So you graduated from the Heights in like 80, 83. I'm guys to guess. I got it right. 83. Okay. 83. It's a math in my head here as we're talking. Wow, that, that, that was pretty fast math. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you graduate from the Heights, you go to Georgetown, uh, you go to Georgetown Law School. Um, and then, I mean, dur- during this time at the, at the, the Institute, did you, you kept a close relationship with the Heights as well? Um, yes. So um, when I finished law school, which was in 91, mm-hmm. um, I, I started first by, by coaching a little bit, coaching some soccer at, at the Heights. Um, I love the sport. I had played it, you know, my whole life. I had played it at Manhattan College. Um, and the, the head coach at the time was a Heights teacher who is now here at the Heights again teaching. And he and I talked and he said, well, just, you know, just come on out and, and help coach a little bit. Right. So I started doing that and I fell in love with that. Um, and then I, 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 um, I, as it happens within a school, you, you begin doing one little thing and before you know, you're doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I, I put together and started running the college counseling program um, okay. at the Heights. This is now in the '90s when, when um, you know, even even you know, top schools maybe had one college counselor that was working hmm. part time at best. Right? It was, just, yeah. it, was, it was not such a big deal. Um, and I had been doing a lot of college counseling from the Tinley Study Center with students from all over DC. Um, so I, you know, easy for me to put together that program for the school, and then I started running uh, activities for parents, and then I, 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 I got invited to be on the board, um, and and I was there as well. So I, after after a couple of years, I was doing a bunch of things, right? Yeah. That, okay. That, that it was basically almost like a like a full time job in terms of the time that I was spending. <laughs> Okay, so I'm seeing where all this is going, uh, and then did you go right into when you kind of went full time officially into the role of head of school, or was there a, another stepping stone before that? Yeah, so there was. It, it was interesting because it it, it got so um, I guess so busy um, where I was still um, full time executive executive director of the Tenley Center. And then working basically full time at the heights, you know, the different roles that I, I, I decided, you know, I just got to step down from everything I'm doing at the heights, at least for a year or two, just totally disconnect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, recenter what I'm doing at the, at, at the, at the tennis center and then get back involved with the heights in a reasonable way. So I had a nice conversation <laughs> with the then headmaster, just like, you know, just, I just need to take a step back. Right. Okay. Um, and a year after that, um, the board was looking for a, 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 a new headmaster, right? The previous one was, a, was about to step down. Um, and I was one of the persons that they, they interviewed and, and they offered me the job. And, and then I, I, I fully made the transition. And, and okay. Okay. Uh, Alvaro, you, you've made a few references already to Opus Dei. Uh, our audience, I would imagine, is probably less than half Catholic. Uh, and probably the majority of folks here have not heard of Opus Dei at all. Um, how would you describe Opus Dei? What is Opus Dei? Uh, I guess the simplest way I would describe it is that it's a Catholic organization 
aimed at helping lay people live their lives uh, in the holiest possible way. Mm. Um, and uh, I remember one, at one point somebody told me, you know, uh, Open State is an organization that you don't join. It joins you. Hmm. And, and the reason for that is that, is, is, is that being in Opus Dei, uh, you don't do anything that you shouldn't do. Okay. You help you what you should do better. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you're still going to have, you know, uh, most Opus Dei members um, have, have their families, um, the professional jobs, the, the, their social relations. All those things look exactly like anybody who is not in Opus Dei. It's just you're, you're doing those things. Um, trying to do it better, trying to do it for the love of God, for the service of man, uh, yeah. right to eternity as well. So okay. And, and you're, you're what's called a, a numerary. Is that right? And you right. To live with, with my dear friend and spiritual director, father Saul in right. a community. Right. So, so some of the small percentage, some of the members of Opus Dei see their, their call, their vocation as one of celibacy. So as to be, to have more time to be more fully available for the apostolic needs of Opus Dei, mm. right? So to be the guys who can study more and then give more formation to others, um, to have more time that in the evening, you don't have to worry about a sick kid so that you can commit to every week, go to this and give a, a talk to this group of, 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 of people. Um, yeah. So that it's, it's, it's the same vocation, whether you're married or not, it's just that by being celibate, you are more available uh, for the needs. Folks, this is a very exciting. We have our first ever sponsor uh, of the Anchor Podcast here, which is exciting. We would never promote something that we don't really, really believe in uh, here at the CLT. Uh, but our dear friends at the King's College in New York City, uh, they have an amazing summer academy. Uh, so amazing. My daughter, Grace Tate, she's going to be applying for it this summer. I love the King's College right there, uh, the tip of lower Manhattan. Um, a faithfully Christian uh, college where they're doing uh, amazing formation of young people. Go and visit if you can, but there are three options here for Summer Academy. Uh, week one is going to be July 10th to the 15th. Uh, the focus there is going to be faith and finance. There's another track for American legal studies and another one, Christianity and the city. Uh, again, that is July 10th to the 15th in person in New York City. The next week two, uh, July 17th to 22nd is online. Uh, it's on New York City on film, uh, and then another on investments and innovation in finance. And the third one, and this is one my daughter is applying to, uh, is July 24th to 29th, again, in person. Uh, the first option is going to be arts and culture reporting. The second is sports reporting, which is the one Grace is doing. Uh, and the last one is going to be speech and debate. Uh, I can't recommend this highly enough. The King's College is a very, very popular option for CLT test takers, so please do check out the King's College and their summer academy. Now back to it. Yeah, and if you're listening to this right now, and if you're a regular uh, uh, listener here uh, at the Anchor Podcast, Opus Dei was founded by Jose Maria Escriva, uh, who also founded uh, the University of Navarra in Pamplona, Spain, um, where we, we've had a couple podcasts with our friends at the University of Navarra, uh, an increasingly popular option. I've been out there, beautiful, uh, our kind of one major European partner. Um, and the Heights, I know, even sends. In fact, when I went out there, I met a young man at the Heights who's having an amazing experience. Uh, and I imagine, I know you haven't actually been on, on campus. We've talked about that. 
Um, but the connection with Opus Dei and then also having grown up in, in Spain, uh, there's a, a close relationship there as well. Sure. No, there, there is. And, and I mean, Navarre is, is a, uh, even though I, I obviously didn't go there myself, um, it, it's, it's a beautiful place. Um, it's a beautiful place because it's a place that believes in the truth hmm. and it believes in beauty. <laughs> yeah. And it believes that college students can appreciate the truth and, and, and the beauty and the good. And, mm. and frankly, that, that, that alone makes it a very unique, very special and, and, and something that should be looked into and, and, and pursued, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I, I was probably 10 minutes into being on campus for the first time and there was something really diff- different and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized that the students were dressed completely differently than American universities where if you go to a college campus, most students are bumming around in like hoodies and pajamas and flip-flops and it's kind of tacky. Uh, at University of Navarra, the students are very classy, it, it really well dressed. It kind of brings this dignity to the whole campus. Uh, I love that aspect of it. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I mean, it's sort of the, the 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 whole idea, right? The 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 Thomas More idea that I wear the hair shirt for my benefit and the and the nice clothes for your benefit, right? Mm. <laughs> this is that's a great, you know, there's, that's a there's something about appreciating the dignity of those around you uh, mm. by by sacrificing your comfort. To that effect. Mm. Fantastic. Well, let's say, dig in here and talk the heights. Uh, again, it, it's a really, really special school. I was next level blown away when I first did a tour of the heights. Um, so tell us a bit about the, the heights. What makes it? It's an all boys school. Um, right. Tell us a bit about the vision of the school and um, how young men are formed. Right. Um, yeah. So the, the heights is, a, is, a, is an all boys school is third through 12th. Uh, we have about 600 students. Um, you know, we start with uh, three sections of third grade, about 40 some students and about 60 to 70 seniors. Um, so we can add some students every every grade. Um, the vision of the school is one that we partner with parents. Mm. Uh, education is a parental responsibility. We come in to help you parents fulfill that responsibility better. Um, you, you sound very different than what I'm hearing from some of the teachers unions right now. <laughs> yeah. Is it, I mean, it, it, just, just, a, just the fact that somebody in education would say, get the parents out of here. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what that means. I mean, I think the next step is get the students out of here. Uh, and that sounds crazy. Although I, I guess that has been done and said <laughs> in many, many places, but uh, yeah, so, you know, uh, partner with parents. So that, that's the first, that's the kind of fundamental principle. Um, another one is that we're going to teach the whole person. And I know every school says that. Um, here's what we mean by that. We're going to teach um, you physically. You got to be healthy. You got to be stronger. You got to be faster. You got you to you know, play some sports. We're going to teach you academically, obviously. You got to develop your mind. And that means that you have to develop your mind in a way that you become a, a, a lifelong learner but in a way that you can identify the truth mm. and you can attach your mind to that truth and uh, you can assimilate the truth and you can express the truth. Uh, we're also going to develop you morally. That is that you're going you're gonna to learn and get in the habit of making good moral choices. Mm-hmm. Not saying that we guarantee every student's going to make the right moral choice every time. <laughs> we're never guaranteed that, never attain that, right? Yeah. <laughs> 
but that we're that, but that we're gonna we're gonna teach you that, and therefore it means that we believe that there is an objectively um, right moral choice. Mm. Um, and finally, that we're also gonna develop you spiritually, and spiritually means that we're gonna develop you in an ability, personal ability to engage Christ face to face. For those who are Catholic, that means understanding the church doctrine. That means appreciating the sacraments, benefiting mm-hmm. from the sacraments. For those who are not Catholic, that means doing it in the way that is most appropriate to their religion. Okay. okay. In, in most cases, um, we have non-Catholic Christians. Uh, but even those who are not Christian, what does it mean in your religion? You have to face, if not Christ, the divinity, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In, in the most appropriate way. So that's, that's, the, that's the second pillar. First one is we partner with parents. The second one is that we develop the whole person. Um, the, the third one is that we do it through a liberal arts um, academic program. And a liberal arts academic program in that we, uh, we get the students to appreciate that which is true and good and beautiful Mm -hmm. and we get the students to understand how that's to be done prudentially in their Mm -hmm. daily lives you know you learn a great deal about a school by meeting the graduates and uh, i've met a number of heights graduates and we even had here at clt nate gadiano am i saying it right sure Nate, uh, he, he had pr- went on to Princeton and interned at the CLT. I think it was the summer of 2017. Um, had a chance to talk with Nate about his experience at the Heights. Um, and really, I mean, you're, you're forming young men in really powerful ways where they, they stand out in the current culture uh, right. in a beautiful way. Right. We're, 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 we're definitely trying to do that. We intentionally try to do that. Um, we, we, we have... Um, uh, we have a clear vision of what a a boy in third grade, a young man in ninth mm-hmm. grade, um, should look like by the time, not so much by the time he graduates, because that's still young, but definitely by the time that he himself is starting a family. And, and you know, in, in education, I believe there are three modes of education. And the first one is the one that most educators see as education, which is what I would call direct mm. and, um, and planned. Mm-hmm. So that's any time that you go into the classroom, you are face-to-face with the students and you have a plan or the coach, right? You're face-to-face with the players and you have a plan. Uh, that's important, obviously. That, that's, that's a curriculum, that's teacher training and all that. The second mode uh, that is even more important is direct and unplanned. This every time you come face to face with a student mm. and you were not really expecting it. So this is walking the hallways. This is the parking lot. This yeah. is by the side of the field. And the education there is, do you look at the student in the eyes? Do you know who mm-hmm. he is? Do you greet him? Do you ask him how his mother is doing because you know she mm. was sick? Do you congratulate him because he had a great game the night before? Do you tell him that your story that his favorite team just lost? Mm. Do you send him the message that he matters to you because he's a person and he has oh. that dignity and you care about mm. him as a human being, whether he's eight or 18? 
that is the kind of education that you can't plan, but you got to have educators who are so interested and so loving towards the students that it will come out naturally. Mm. And that forms a disposition in the student uh, by which he believes that this is really the right way to live. This is what a man does. This is how he mm. Um, and the and the third mode is 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 what called um, indirect and unplanned, and this is what the facilities look like. Mm-hmm. Right? The education that you provide by walking into a chapel that is beautiful and realizing mm-hmm. what well, is the most important part of the school, um, as opposed to walking. It, it, it is beautiful. It is stunningly beautiful. I, I've got mass there, and it has to be. If if your you know if your classrooms are nicer than your chapel, you're sending a message. Mm-hmm. If your athletic center is richer than your classroom, you're sending a message. Mm. If your chapel is in a basement classroom and your auditorium is very prominent, you're sending a message. Mm. I said, that's all part of an education. If you walk into a school and you have nothing but linoleum floors and posters, that sends a message. If you have carpeting and framed pictures to make it homier, that sends a message. That's the third type. That's the third mode of education that that yeah. you have to think about. I've got kind of two or three questions, and I may try to combine okay. them in one, and it, it might not make any sense at all. So we'll, we'll take a shot at this here. But but the timing of the launching of the Heights is interesting to me. So it's, it, it launches in the late sixties. This is post Vatican II, a time period when a lot of people would say things went really wrong in Catholic education in America. I mean, you're. You're kind of right after this high point where we've got over 5 million students, 50% of Catholic children went to Catholic school uh, in 1965. Um, we've gone from over 5 million to, I believe it's 1.3 million now uh, are in Catholic school. So the, this massive contraction, the Heights launches at the kind of the tail end of this. But you, it seems to me from what I've seen, there's been like no mission drift at all. Uh, at the heights that you've been, which is, I, I want to pick your brain about as well. I think every institution wants to figure out how do we, how do we not have mission drift here? How do we maintain our identity with so many currents pushing us in so many different directions? Um, so I'm wondering if you can speak to that and also kind of in the context of classical education, because I think folks listening to the podcast right now that maybe they're not Catholic, uh, there, there's a lot of conversations of how does this classical renewal movement relate to being an authentically Catholic school? Um, are they one and the same thing? That may be too many questions all at once, but I'm wondering if you can speak <laughs> into all of that. Okay. Uh, we'll go to Sean and then and then you and then you narrow the uh, narrow the search as you as you wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, well I I you know the, the timing with the school I, I mean look I, I I'm I'm not sure why 1969, not 67 or 72 but a couple of things came together. One is that the the origin of the Heights School, as I somewhat referred to earlier, was a, a supplemental character education center that was called the Heights Study Center that started in the you know mid sixties, early sixties. Okay. And and it had started because um, you know members of Opus Dei first came to Washington in in, in the mid fifties. Uh, Opus Dei only came to the United States in '49, so the mid '50s comes to Washington, and I think by the you know late early '60s, um, there's enough of an Opus Dei presence to begin to look to 
do some apostolic activities for high school students. And that's where this Heights Study Center starts. And it starts in Cathedral Heights next to St. Albans. As a matter of fact, in the very first couple of years, I think that the Heights Study Center borrows classrooms from St. Albans. Okay. Some of the programs because, you know, they don't have the facilities. And then they, they, they buy a, a, and build, they buy a property in Northwest DC and, and, and build a building there. Um, and that opens up in the mid sixties and it's all supplemental education center. And I think by 69, uh, uh, you know, a couple of things happen. One is that um, there are some parents who had some experience of the schools linked with Opus Dei in other countries. Mm, who now come to Washington and they come with the idea of, boy, it would be great to have one of the schools here. And, and, you know, in in many cases, I don't think it was a theoretical question. It was more, I have a seventh grade boy and I, (laughs) I'm looking for a place, right. That now nothing focuses the mind, like your own children (laughs) and where they're going to go to school. So I think that was one of the forces uh, the other one was that the the some of the people, members of Opus Dei, who had been involved, who were involved with the Heights Study Center, um, had a very sort of forward-looking, adventurous spirit. I was thinking, yeah, we could do more. Right? We could reach more mm-hmm. students. We could do, you know, be more impactful if we had a school. So there was that desire. And I, I think this is true because I've heard from a couple people. There were also those who said, you know what, um, we have this after-school uh, programs, uh, but we have a building that is empty all day long. We need to capitalize it more. Let's start a school to make money, which I, I've told them many times, that is the craziest idea I've ever heard. Like, uh, Are you telling me that you thought the way to solve your problems was by starting a school? <laughs> but anyhow, that, that, apparently that was one of the factors. Um, but those those things came together, and it's in '69 when when they first opened the doors as a as a school for seventh seventh and eighth grade boys. Yeah, and then it it, it grew from there. Yeah, and then this piece with with the connection with with classical education, the classical renewal movement, and an authentically Catholic education are these the same thing? Are these different? Can you speak to that as well? Yeah, I, I you know I. I don't know. I, I wouldn't say they're the same thing. And 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 frankly, I, you know, whenever I talk about the the the, the cla- classical education and the and the classical, you know, renewal project, I, I always like to say, well, can we go and get a get a glass of wine and really talk about what we mean by these terms? Because mm-hmm. I I've, I've found that that at least different people I've talked to seem to mean slightly different <laughs> things, right? But yeah. I, I, I what I would say is that. Um, you know, whatever your understanding of classical education is and Catholic education, I think that you're going to find um, a, a, a fundamental principle in common, which is search for the hmm. truth. Yeah. Okay. I think, I think that's going to, once you have that, in some ways, everything else is details, right? And the details mm-hmm. will be the curriculum. But, yeah. you know, the fundamental sense that the education is about uh, not feeding the truth to you, but training your mind mm. to want to and find the truth mm. and then be able to bring it to others. So from that point of view, I would say, yeah, the classical education and Catholic education 
um, you know, they could be one and the same thing, very similar, same impetus, same mm-hmm. similar vision um, that is there. And, and I think that was that was part of definitely the Heights um, origin. Okay. I mean, and, and there's all of these beautiful schools now launching and, and growing like wildfire. I mean, you look at the Chesterton Academy Network, they launched right. school in 08 with no intention of franchising. And now there's 55 of them. You look at schools like like Sacred Heart Academy in Grand Rapids or St. Jerome's near you, right. which flipped schools that had slowly embraced kind of the secular progressive model of public education um, and then realized they needed to go back and re-embrace right. the, the, that tradition. You feel like what those schools are doing um, is is very similar to what you've always been doing at the Heights? I, you know, I, I think so. I mean, I, I you know, watching all the all these all, all these schools, I, I you know. I think it's fantastic, right? I mean, one, one, frankly, because I, I'm I'm a, a big believer in 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 free market for education, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the yeah. more the merrier. The more the merrier, right? As long as you're going to stay open, yeah, the, the more the merrier. At the yeah. same time, uh, the caveat there is, I mean, in in education, if you're not teaching the truth, you're not in education. Mm. You're in, in indoctrination, and mm. uh, you know. You and I don't believe in indoctrination, right? We believe in education. So as long as you are teaching the truth, which means that you recognize there's a truth and you embrace it, then how you get there, I don't care. Um, I, you know, I think the way we do it here at the Heights works really well, and I'm 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 a, a proponent and attached to it. But the more the merrier. Um, I, I I do think that there are similarities in that this vision of the truth. Mm-hmm. Is there in, in in all these schools that, that 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 we're seeing, as far as I can tell, and it was at the heights from from the beginning. Um, and what you're going to find is going to be the differences of, you know, often it's just even who is the headmaster, and mm-hmm. how does the curriculum change slightly, or what offerings mm-hmm. are, are given, or what's the particular tone of the school, but they're going to be mm-hmm. fundamentally very very similar. Okay, and then the boys' school component. Um, and, and touring campus, I was, I, it was awesome. It was amazing. Like you want boys out getting dirty and doing kind of boy things. Um, what, what is the value of a, of a single sex education? Right. Um, well, the, the, Frank, I think the value that, that, that I, that I, I see here, I mean, it's multifaceted. One is, um, boys are being persecuted now. Mm. You know, we have a, a, a nationwide persecution of boys. Yeah. Um, and I, I love your clarity in saying that because it, it is so true. I haven't talked to people with kind of the boldness to put it that way, but yes. Yeah, but we are. I mean, and, and in many places we're, we're persecuting them, not because they're bad boys, but because they're boys. Mm. And we're punishing them for doing things that they naturally do and that they should be encouraged, accepted, redirected in some cases, <laughs> uh, but not punished because of, of who they are. So, you know, one of the benefits right now for us of, of, of being an old boys school is there's a place for a boy to be able to be a boy. Mm. And, and as I've told parents many times before, here's the thing is that if you're not a boy when you're 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, you're going to try to be a boy when you're 30. And that just mm. doesn't work. <laughs> right? It doesn't work for you. It doesn't work for anybody yeah. else. Yeah. But the last thing we need is a 30-year-old trying to recapture a boyhood he never had. Wow. So let's, yeah. give the, let's give the boys the boyhood that they deserve when they deserve it. 
which is when, when they're of this age. Um, the other benefit is that right now, um, well, male friendship, I think, has always been a little bit difficult. Mm-hmm. Right? Males, you know, males just become friends with one another in a different way from, from, from females. I think for males, you need to do things together. You need a lot of time. You need a sport. You need activities. You need... Mm-hmm. But now it's even harder to find these male friendships because they're, they're just not as, you know, boys growing up don't have as many examples because the families are very disjointed. They're really mm-hmm. busy. The neighborhoods are broken up. You know, there are very few true natural neighborhoods where you get a bunch of mm-hmm. kids playing together. Um, so a boys' school, in a way, is it's it's a um, it, it's a place where boys can come together and develop natural friendships, mm-hmm. and learn what it means to care for one another and to protect one another and to support one another, um, and even the benefits of friendship. That it uh, friendship in a boys' school provides a lot of natural character correction. Okay. Right. There's nothing like a boy telling another boy, "Don't do that. That's stupid." Um, for that boy to learn, yeah, probably shouldn't do that, you know, <laughs> and that boy is going to benefit because yeah. as a man, he's going to, he's going to be a, a, yeah. a better behaved person because he got that correction from another nine-year-old when they yeah. were in the, in the playground. Yeah. Um, and the third, the third component that I think is of a great benefit, um, is the mentoring that can happen between faculty and boys, uh, and a very natural mentoring where, one of the ways in which we, we partner with, with, with parents best is by providing somebody here in the school who is going to be a natural mentor to that boy, who is going to reinforce what the boy hears at home but doesn't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And to hear from somebody else. Um, mm-hmm. one, of the, one of the greatest always compliments that I, I think we, we receive as, as, as a teacher is when you tell something to a boy, something that he should be doing, and the boy says, yeah, that's what my dad tells me. Mm. That's what my mom tells me. Uh-huh. You know that then your things are working well. Or when the dad or the mom come to you and say, you know, I've been telling my boy that he should do that for two years and he didn't pay attention, and you told him in passing once, and he came home and said, you know, I'm going to start doing this. Mm. I just have to bite my tongue and say, that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> Mr. So-and-so must be a very smart person to recommend that. So that, that, that's another, yeah. I think that's another benefit to the, to the single sex education that we have. Yeah. Well, again, uh, Alvaro, it's, it's amazing the way uh, that you're forming young men. Uh, final question. We always end the anchor podcast uh, talking about books. Uh, mm-hmm. Wondering if there's a, a book that you come back to maybe every year that's been profoundly formative for you. Wow. Um, I, I, uh, there are several. Okay, I'm 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 going to assume that we're taking the Bible out of out of the contest, right? So the, the rule for the Bible is that you have to pick a book in the Bible if you choose the Bible. Okay. Um, well, I'm gonna okay. I'm gonna say if if I were to pick the Bible, I, I would do Saint John, Saint John's mm. Gospel, or the Psalms. But I'm gonna I'm gonna put that aside, and I know I'm cheating because this is the mention. Like I'm not gonna mention Anna yeah. Karenin, who's one of my favorites, but I'm not gonna mention that one, or I'm not gonna mention Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. But that, that is yeah. mine every time. Is I read. It? It's the only book I read every year. It is my return to sanity. 
Um, okay, so I have a shelf here at my office with um, with some books that if there's a fire in the building, these are the hmm. books that I will grab and run away with, right? <laughs> okay. And uh, one of them is is orthodoxy. But yes. I think the, the one I'm going to mention is Evelyn Waugh's Brides Have Revisited. Uh, that's, okay. that's the one that I come back to uh, almost uh, more often than any other book. So this is interesting timing for me, Vero, because I'm finishing up uh, Gulag Archipelago for the first time. Right. I, I feel like I need to go reread something, and Brideshead is like at the top of my list for what I may go to. I read it probably 10 years ago. I think I probably missed a lot. So you've read it multiple times. So, so make the case. Why do I why do I reread Brideshead here? Okay. Uh, well, one because is is beautiful prose. Mm-hmm. Is beautiful prose. Um, two because is the most action packed book I've ever read. Mm. Even though there's no external action whatsoever, hmm. or very little, okay. yeah. but there is so much internal action hmm. of how the characters grow mm-hmm. and grow in different ways, and they grow because of interactions with each other and hmm. the interactions with the events in their lives. Um, Evelyn Wall referred to um, Bryce Revisited as the protagonist being God, and the book is about hmm. a he is using a particular family to bring this particular character to him and mm-hmm. everyone back to him in the process. Um, but listen, for, for me, and, and I think this is always, you know, what your favorite book is always very personal. For me, what I like about it, besides the beautiful prose and the richness of the, of, of the uh, you know, of the action, so to speak, and, and the characters, is that it's, it's a book where I have found written in prose sentiments and emotions that I had, but which I didn't know how to express them or wow. recognize them. Wow. Okay. And by reading them there, it enriched me because now I own that sentiment. I own that emotion. I own that, that mm. thought um, as I didn't before. So it, it's, it's a book that is, is my favorite because I'm very appreciative of what okay. it has done for me. I'm I'm convinced. I'm doing it. <laughs> Good. I think you would enjoy it. <laughs> and we'll have to have a glass of wine and, and digest together. Absolutely. Uh, Alvaro de Vicente, the head of school now for 20 years at the Heights in Potomac, Maryland. Uh, do go visit and tour. It's, an, it's amazing what you've built there over the years. And uh, thanks so much for your time with us today. Thank you, Jeremy. And thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.